Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined once again by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. I think this may be his fifth appearance on the podcast. A majority of listeners will likely know who he is, but for those who don't, he's the former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under Ronald Reagan, former Associate Editor of the Wall Street Journal. He's held a number of academic appointments, authored a number of great books. Uh, his bio is, is very long. You can see the full list on his website. Uh, in 1987, France inducted him into the Legion of Honor. Uh, so welcome back, Dr. Roberts. How is sunny Florida or wherever you may be? <laughs> well, it's always nice to be in sunny Florida. Yeah, it's, it's always nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I subscribe to your email list, which I enjoy uh, very much. It seems the two key themes that you bang on about these days are US, Russia, World War III, and the Corona dictatorship. Uh, for me personally, these also are some of the key issues today I'm most concerned about. And of course, uh, if there are other issues on your mind, do let us know. But I thought perhaps we could start with the foreign policy. Four years ago, we did an interview where you concluded that Washington was ready to nuke China and Russia. In fact, just yesterday, Ron Paul writes that Washington's Russia bashers are determined to start a war. You write that for yourself as an experienced cold warrior, you are freaking out. Uh, I thought we could start with Kazakhstan, which some say was an attempted Washington regime change uh, and color revolution, you know, given everything that's going on. So, you know, what are your thoughts there? I don't see how it could be anything else uh, but an attempted color revolution. Um, the, the protest over the um, gas price increase uh, is totally different from having the armed groups that were present and were uh, obviously trying to uh, overthrow the regime. Um, so where did these armed groups come from and what did they have to do with the gas price protests? So, yes, I think it was an effort. Um, it, of course, had it succeeded, it would have presented uh, the Russians with uh, another serious problem that <clears throat> uh, would have affected uh, their, uh, their response uh, to Ukraine and to the security talks that they had requested. Uh, so I think it was an effort to show uh, Russia that you can be stabilized on both fronts. You can be destabilized on both fronts. All right. And um, yeah, I, I, I've been thinking, I mean, I lived there for three years, but it, it's still confusing giving, giving all the info uh, that's coming out. Uh, there do seem to be divisions between the elites uh, in Kazakhstan. But again, there, there's so much, um, as you said, it's hard to not think that it's you know not a uh, a color revolution uh, attempt. You have written recently about uh, the the accusations of false flags that have been uh, flying around. Some weeks ago, Russian General Shoigu warned that Ukraine was planning a false flag against Russia. Uh, the U.S. recently stated that Russia was planning a false flag attack as a pretext to invade Ukraine. Uh, I find it kind of fascinating that the U.S. would even use the term false flag so openly because. I think historically, I would argue that the U.S. has carried out the highest number of false flags. So it's it's almost as, as if they're projecting. You know, they always accuse everyone else of what they are doing. Uh, you know, it feels like someone's going to carry out a false flag soon to get this show on the road. You know, what are your thoughts on the accusations by both countries of false flag operations? <laughs> well, I, I think that um, the accusation that was <clears throat> made by the National Security Advisor in the Biden regime um, that followed uh, the uh, week's uh, security talks. So I saw that as a very unpromising uh, event. If you uh, if just tell uh, talks about joint security and uh, decide that uh, uh, pushed for the talks is waiting a, a written reply to their concerns, and the National Security Advisor announces that, uh, uh, that the Russians are uh, about to uh, commit a false flag attack on their own troops in order to have an excuse to invade Ukraine. This sort of tells you that the uh, uh, United States uh, did not take seriously the security talks, because the last thing you want to do if 
if you're trying to reach some agreement, is to spoil that possibility with such an accusation uh, right at the conclusion of the talks. So I saw that as very discouraging as a further indication that Washington uh, does not take seriously the Russians' concern uh, with their with their security. We saw more uh, indication of that uh, today with the British uh, defense minister announcing that uh, the British were now sending more arms to Ukraine uh, to ward off uh, a Russian attack. So uh, it looks to me like the security talks uh, had no effect on, uh, on the West and that they are continuing um, their accusations, which of course uh, contribute to the Russians' sense of insecurity. Um, so, I mean, so given this, it seems like, as you said, the talks were meaningless and things, you know, over the past few decades just keep uh, escalating. It seems like from, you know, Washington's and th there's no stopping them. You say that, uh, again, the Russians are no longer bluffing, that they are serious. You've written that Russia can mobilize 10 million troops and uh, China could mobilize 50 million troops to assist Russia that NATO has zero prospect of withstanding Russia in non-nuclear or conventional warfare. Um, I recently interviewed Andrei Martyanov, who said the same thing. Uh, on top of that, you know, it was announced today that Russia, Iran, and China are going to conduct joint naval drills. Uh, last week, we saw Iran officially announced that their 25-year strategic partnership with China has officially begun. So it seems like the East is, is coming together. Uh, so what do you think is going on in Washington's head? You know, why do they keep pushing what what is their game um you know we, we also see uh the us the cia training ukraine ukrainian troops uh in the us and so where do you see things uh, going well i think what what we see is uh, washington is delusional uh, it has delusions of its own uh, omnipotence and it, it thinks it's omnipotent and it won't let go of this claim to hegemony. So um, once you uh, convince uh, Russia and China that, <laughs> that you uh, cannot be dealt with uh, diplomatically, uh, then they realize that uh, force is the uh, only effective force. So I'm, I'm discouraged. Uh, by Washington's response. And it's uh, amazingly different uh, from what uh, would have been uh, a response in the 20th century. You know, uh, with the Cold War, uh, both sides made efforts not uh, to uh, boil the pot, not to have the tensions rise and uh, reach a, a dangerous point. Uh, both sides would try to accommodate the other side's concerns. And that's how the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved. Uh, we took our missiles out of Turkey and they took their missiles out of Cuba. And um, so all of the presidents during the 20th century worked uh, to defuse tensions uh, with, uh, with the Russians. You know, we had SALT-1, we had SALT-2, we had the uh, anti-ballistic uh, missile treaty. We had the, the various uh, agreements on uh, limiting inter intermediate range uh, nuclear, I mean, uh, intermediate range uh, missiles. We had the, the overflight agreements. Uh, all of this has now been rejected and repealed by Washington. So this has to add to uh, Russian concerns that, look, they've taken down all the accomplishments of many administrations in the 20th century. And then the Russians um, find themselves uh, faced with NATO on their borders, despite the promise that was made that uh, they allowed the reunification of Germany, and NATO would not move one inch to the east. Instead, it, uh, under Clinton, has moved their borders. And now there are missile bases in Poland and Romania. And now there's talk of the United States putting Georgia and Ukraine into NATO. So the Russians say, 
look, they're ringing us with missile bases that leave us uh, no time to react. Uh, uh, what's going on? I mean, there must be some hostile intention behind this. And that we, we have uh, uh, relied on diplomacy year after year after year, and it leads nowhere. So we've got to stop this. So that's what the security talks were supposed to address. The Russians simply said, we're not going to tolerate this any longer. There's no prospect of Georgia and Ukraine going into NATO. We simply will not allow it. And that we want NATO rolled back to the pre-1997 borders. That is, to the uh, no move, <laughs> not moving one inch to the east. We don't want your bases in Poland or in Romania, so they've got to go to. So this is a, a, a fairly uh, a frank uh, and direct way of speaking. Uh, uh, they've made it clear that they don't uh, trust us, that they can't trust us, and that uh, if uh, we don't uh, accommodate their security concern, there will be dire consequences. So what would these consequences be? I, I can't. I can't really say, um, uh, other than uh, uh, in conventional war, uh, the West has no way of standing up against uh, uh, Russia. There's, there's no possibility of it. And so I think that um, uh, what they will do, they want to be uh, 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 anxious to commit something right away, but I can see them deploying those new uh, hypersonic missiles targeting all of Europe. Well, look, uh, you Americans are having fun, but uh, we're the target. <laughs> I can see them uh, stationing these missiles uh, on ships and subs uh, off the uh, American Atlantic and Pacific coast. So, in other words, it neutralizes whatever the bases we have closest to them. Uh, I'm convinced that if uh, the United States continues uh, arming uh, Ukraine, continues uh, sort of uh, gradually invading Ukraine with more uh, military personnel, more training, more weapons, that they'll simply uh, uh, take some very strong action. Uh, if we put any missile bases there, they simply will eliminate them. Uh, they can do that without invading, just with their missiles. And I don't think the base that's in Poland and Romania uh, will uh, be there permanently. Those bases will be removed, uh, either from uh, Russian pressure or from Russian military action. So I think what the situation is that the Russians have finally decided that uh, they are threatened and the lack of response to their concerns is an indication that they are threatened. And uh, so the West is not going to uh, take any actions to increase their security, so they will take them themselves. Do you think there's any real uh, chance that the West will cross Russia's red lines? And my, my only two scenarios going forward that, as you said, that Ukraine would kind of turn into a like um, Yugoslavia of the 1990s, like the Yugoslav war, where there, there would be this protracted war in and around Ukraine, like a conventional war, uh, which then would risk escalating to the nuclear threshold. Are, are those possibilities? I don't, I don't think so. You see, uh, the... What happened to Serbia, uh, the Russians didn't approve of it, but um, they were nowhere near their current economic and military strength at that time. And so they really didn't feel they could do much about it. Uh, now, of course, their military's priority is evident. And certainly in any, any territory close to, the, <laughs> to their borders, and so if trouble broke out in uh, Ukraine, it would be very short-lived. The Russian army can conquer Ukraine in a week if, that, if it takes that long. And 
their NATO have no forces to do anything about it. Any NATO force that showed up would be destroyed in a few hours. There's no, and by the time the Americans could get anything there, uh, uh, it would be pointless. It'd all be over with. And, and the Americans can't um, prepare uh, a large enough force to challenge Russian ground forces. It's, it's impossible. You can't possibly do it. Um, according to some uh, Russian newspaper reports, and I mean, who knows, uh, Russia is in the process of transferring four complete armies from the Far East to the Western Front. And there are plenty of armies already on the Western Front. So the troops are there already sufficient to overrun all of Eastern Europe, indeed all of Europe, in a few weeks. And nothing could be done about it uh, short of employing nuclear weapons. So uh, I don't think there will be another long drawn out thing like the Yugoslavian uh, because the Russians uh, won't stand for it and they don't have to. They have the military capability of prevailing and prevailing very quickly. So, but I don't think they want any uh, military confrontation. It's not, I don't think they want Ukraine. They, they don't want Ukraine. They just don't want Ukraine being used as a tool against them. And they don't uh, want uh, uh, the kinds of ongoing conflict in eastern Ukraine between the Ukrainians and the Russian population of that part of the country. You know, most people don't know uh, Ukraine was part of Russia for centuries. And um, the western, sorry, the eastern part of Ukraine is Russia. They're all Russian people. And that is where the Ukrainians have been attacking the breakaway republics. It's been going on since 2014. And the Russians have not really stopped it. You know, they, I'm sure they supply the breakaway republics with arms and resources, but uh, they haven't stopped it. And they refused the request of those two breakaway republics to be reunited with Russia. I mean, they were part of Russia for centuries. I mean, it's just a happenstance that, that uh, uh, Ukraine is separate. You know, the, it, it was um, uh, Khrushchev who put Crimea into Ukraine. And it was Lenin that put the uh, eastern part of Russia into the Ukraine. I think they did this either they wanted Russians in there to uh, water down the Ukrainian population, or they wanted to make some sort of administrative uh, change just from, from boundary conditions. But Ukraine was a Soviet uh, province, and prior to that, it was a Russian province. Just like Georgia and Kazakhstan and, and Uzbekistan and so on. When the Soviet Union collapsed, Washington very quickly broke all these provinces off and created independent countries, realizing they were potential sources of trouble uh, for Russia, should, should Russia make any kind of uh, comeback as a, uh, as a power. So if you look at it realistically, uh, it's kind of like if um, uh, somebody had taken a few of the American states away <laughs> and we're now using those against America. Uh, that's what's actually going on and it's very provocative and uh, the Russians have simply had enough. They've said, we've had enough. It's gonna stop now and they mean it. Uh, so, uh, so far, the West doesn't hear. Um, you have to consider the neoconservatives. Look, the Secretary of State, he's some sort of a neoconservative fool. Uh, the undersecretary is Victoria Newland. She was the one who oversaw the maiden revolution, that is, the CIA overthrow of Ukraine in 2014. 
Um, wherever you look in the uh, administration, it's full of these neoconservative Russia-phobic people. They hate Russia. They basically are. They, you know, many of the neoconservatives are Zionists, and, um, and they hate Russia for uh, all of their uh, the Zionist view of uh, uh, pogroms against Jews through history. So it's, it's a situation where high-level American officials have emotional feelings against Russia. And they see the chance to use their power position uh, to somehow take uh, action against Russia. So that's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. They're not objective people. And when you have people who are not objective uh, making decisions that involve the fate of the entire world, it's dangerous. It's a very dangerous situation. Um, it makes no sense for any American administration uh, to put uh, people who are, uh, favor war with an opponent in positions of power. It, just, it makes no sense. You, you lose control over situations that way. And so, uh, yes, it's extremely dangerous. Uh, I think uh, the Russians have learned this. I think they know you're dealing with lunatics. And so I, I don't think they'll be uh, uh, very overtly aggressive until they have to be. All right. Um, yeah, I wanted to turn to now uh, another dangerous uh, situation, which you also talk a lot about, which is the corona tyranny. Uh, I noticed that your views have changed over time, over the past two years, you know, from the start of the declaration of the pandemic to today, which is, I think, the proper way to go about it, you know, to change our views as new evidence and information comes to light. Recently, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said, uh, you know, he's got his new best-selling book. He, he, he's been saying that the CIA has been running pandemic simulations for two decades. I like to kind of say that it, it seems to have been one giant false flag uh, operation to basically usher in a global tyrannical dystopian state. Kennedy says that, you know, it's it's a coup meant meant uh, to take down basically all of the world's nations. And, you know, so so what are your views on the pandemic and this crazy fascist medical tyranny, great reset uh, and, you know, biosecurity state that they want to usher in? Well, Robert Kennedy knows a lot more about it than I do. I mean, you know, his family. Um, he's lost two family members to CIA assassinations. Uh, his uncle, President Kennedy, and his father, Senator Robert Kennedy, who was about to be elected president of the United States. So uh, uh, he, uh, he knows what he's talking about. Now, when this uh, pandemic started, uh, I didn't have any reason to think that the uh, um, NIH and the uh, CDC and the medical establishment would be uh, lying through the teeth. Um, I didn't have any reasons uh, to disbelieve the reports that uh, this was a very dangerous uh, pandemic and that uh, uh, some kinds of uh, precautions needed to be taken. And if you, if you believe what they were telling you, uh, then the early measures, in fact, they didn't take steps quick enough, <laughs> if you actually believe. Uh, so that puzzled me. I wondered, well, if it's so dangerous, how come they uh, haven't stopped the flights and, and why they still permit the cruise ships and why all this uh, back and forth movement of uh, people, if we have a, a, such a dangerous uh, thing to face. Um, nevertheless, uh, if you believe them, then the lockdown makes sense. Uh, and until you can uh, understand the problem, a mask makes sense. And of course, there were no uh, vaccinations, and they said there were no cures. 
Well, as things developed, all the, if you paid attention, if you paid, only if you paid attention, as things developed, these explanations started having many holes. The holes started appearing in them. Um, there, there are many studies uh, available about the efficiency of mass. And I, you can find them online, and I did, because I was writing. So I said, I gotta be sure, I gotta know what I'm talking about. And I was astonished to find that the, the masks are largely ineffective. That the only one that uh, ordinary people could lay hands on is an N95. It's a mask designated N95. And it was the only one that had any uh, capability of preventing an airborne virus from either coming through to affect you, or if you had it, to prevent it from coming out to affect others. And <clears throat> the studies I read said even this mask is not 95% effective, that uh, at best it's maybe 70%. So I got to thinking, well, people are wearing those masks. And, I'm, and it was hard to get. And I finally, I got some. And after you wear them for an hour, you understand <laughs> why, why people weren't wearing them. Not only couldn't they, they couldn't get them, but you try to wear one for more than an hour. It's, all, it's just extremely difficult. It, so quite clearly, the masks people were wearing were useless, totally useless. And then it started turning out they actually had bad effects because they weren't, changing the mask every day. They were wearing the same mask day after day. So they were simply building up all sorts of bacteria and stuff in the mask and not uh, the, the coronavirus, but just the normal stuff that are, that's there. So people were making themselves sick and depriving themselves of oxygen um, with these masks that did no good whatsoever. So it, these things developed. Well, then it developed, well, there were cures. And uh, they, some of the doctors just hit on, hit on it, that HCQ, uh, and then later ivermectin, that these were useful. Um, other people hit on it because they noticed that in Africa, in parts of Africa where there's a lot of malaria, that HCQ was taken as the Sunday medicine, as a preventative for malaria. And yet there was hardly any COVID there. So the COVID, which was running all over the world, uh, it wasn't having much effect in areas of Africa where people were taking HCQ as a preventative against malaria. And then they found that in the areas of Africa where they're taking ivermectin as a preventative against river blindness, it was, it was all, not much COVID. And so more evidence started coming out. Oh, well, there are cures. There are cures. And yet these cures were demonized in the West and prohibited. I saw just before I interviewed right now, I saw that a doctor in Maine had had, been, had, had her license taken away and ordered to have a psychiatric evaluation because she prescribed ivermectin to a patient. So this is how absurd. It, it became absurdity. <clears throat> well, why? Well, profit. Uh, if you can vaccinate the billions of people in the world, you're going to make a lot of money. And they got this vaccine out untested under emergency use authorization. So it's, it's an experimental thing. They're giving to all of humanity an experimental untested. Okay, well, the only way you can have uh, an authorization like that is there are no cures. So they had to deny HCQ and ivermectin. They had to deny that there's no cures, there's no alternative. The disease is going to kill us all. We have to use, we have to have emergency authorization. Well, it just goes on from there. I mean, you've watched it yourself. Uh, they, then they say, okay, if you get double vaxxed, you're 97% protected. It turns out it wasn't true. <laughs> then, so, so, oh, well, you have to have a booster, and then you'll be 
papers. And then they find out that's not true. For example, they announced yesterday the chairman of the United States Joint Chiefs of Staff is triple vaxxed and has caught COVID. <laughs> yeah, and in some countries now they're up to six. So for me, it's just crazy to think, okay, once or twice, like historically, traditionally, we, we, we've been told or we've been doing it. Now it's just like six. And now they're saying with these, the thing that gets me the most are these vaccine certificates or vaccine QR code, digital passports, which are now becoming, you know, based on everything that you've just laid out, they're introducing these things and we now have to use this or we can't live our lives normally. And now they're saying you're going to perpetually have to be injected so that your digital passport is is valid. So if you don't take your seventh or eighth or 10th or 20th shot, then you'll be locked out uh, here where I am in Mexico. Just last week, they activated them. You can't go into bars or casinos or conference halls or stadiums now without proof of vaccination in one tiny state in Mexico, they've applied it across the board. You can't go into the supermarket now. And there's reports in that state. You can't even go to the park into nature without being vaccinated. So what are your thoughts then? It's it's snowballing. So what are your thoughts on this kind of this digital aspect? Uh, well, you see, uh, it makes no sense in your own terms because uh, we now know that the vaccination doesn't protect you. It doesn't matter how many you've had. The, the vaccine is not protective. So why have the passport that proves you've had the vaccine? Because the vaccine doesn't make any difference. <laughs> you know, all of the information coming in from the heavily vaccinated countries is that the people in the hospital are the vaccinated people. So now... So now we've learned something else. We've learned that the vaccine really isn't a vaccine in the normal sense. It's an operating system. And we've learned that what it actually does is it turns your own immune system into a weapon against your own vital organs. So what they were calling side effects of the vaccine aren't really normal side effects. You're not having um, an allergic reaction to the vaccine or to some element in the vaccine. What the vaccine is doing is turning your own killer cells, your only T cells, into weapons attacking your lungs, your heart, your brain, uh, your kidneys, your your neurological system. and so that these illnesses, these vaccine illnesses, are really caused by the vaccine attacking your own body. So, in other words, uh, once you're injected, you've got a weapon against yourself inside you. The more you get injected, the more of that weapon is in you. And so now we see that suddenly the, the death rates from the vaccine arise sharper. And, you know, it's all over the news, you know, uh, soccer players dropping dead in the middle of a game and so on. I mean, it's uh, children now having heart attacks. I mean, who's ever heard of kids having heart attacks? But now it's common if you've been vaccinated. So they have reached a situation where such a large percentage, certainly of the Western population, have been uh, vaccinated with something that attacks their own vital organs. We have distinguished medical scientists saying that large numbers, get out of the way, baby, (laughs) large numbers of uh, these people are going to die. Uh, some will die right away, some within a month, some years later. Everybody who's been vaccinated, is, life is shortened. Uh, they're accumulating uh, nano blood clots. All sorts of bad things are going on in their body. And this is being essentially denied by authorities. So there's no effort to try to find out how do you unvaccinate somebody which is what we need to know if these medical scientists are right. 
And why wouldn't they be right? They're independent. They're not on Big Pharma's payroll. They're not on Faust's payroll. They're independent. Uh, they've got no, how do they band together to create a hoax? Uh, they don't. They're saying what the facts are, what the research reveals. So if nothing is done uh, to figure out how do we treat the people who have been vaccinated so that they don't develop illnesses and die, you're going to lose a very large percentage of the population. You, you wrote an important piece, uh, I think, commentary recently on your website that uh, on Democrats enforcing COVID tyranny and how Ron DeSantis' free state of Florida is actually not safe. Uh, you know, a change in administration could bring the same draconian policies we see in other states. And I think this is actually a worldwide trend. One of my former guests who reports from Russia says the same thing is, is happening there, that the globalists are working from the ground up, uh, locally corrupting local officials and going region by region and implementing these medical policies. I see the same thing happening here in Mexico, where at the national level, they can't implement them. But one by one, Mexican states are launching these mandatory vaccine certificates. You know, what are your thoughts on how, how they are carrying this out, what we might expect in the future? And you know, how do we resist, fight back and survive COVID-1984? I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, they do it. It, it, it. There must be some kind of conspiracy because it's not possible that none of these people by now would not know that the vaccine is ineffective and that the vaccine is harmful. So why are they pushing it? There has to be a conspiracy. How did it get world organized? I have no idea I don't know how you would do that. It just seems like It, it seems like it's inconceivable, but, but you're correct. It's happening everywhere. And so if you, uh, if you have no freedom, you become uh, under permanent house arrest. Or in Australia, they're putting you into concentration camps. So uh, you have to have a COVID passport. And to keep this passport effective, you have to have a shot every few months. Well, uh, why? You know, well, okay, profit, profit for big pharma. There's endless money pouring in. So uh, are they using this money to bribe all the uh, governors in the Mexican states, the governors in the American U.S. states, uh, the ones in Europe, throughout Asia, Russia? How, how would you organize that? How would you, and how is it possible that the media in all of these countries, I mean, I know our media is totally corrupt, but it's almost like no country has an independent media that could say, hey, wait a minute, why are you doing this? Uh, look, we know it doesn't protect you. Uh, this is why there's no end to the shots. And we know it can make you very sick and kill you. So why the risk? What is what is achieve? What are we achieving with these passports? Nothing except tyranny. So why achieve tyranny? Uh, whose interest is that? How can it be the interest of the world's media and, and all of the governors of everywhere? I mean, it, it makes it makes no sense. I don't understand it. Um, Uh, and you can say, well, somehow over 20, 30, 40 years, they've all been brainwashed into population control. And so they want to control. Well, it seems like a huge accomplishment. Uh, usually you can't get any agreement on anything. So how could there be such massive agreement on COVID passports or population reduction? Or So I have an answer for you. I don't, I don't know what to make of it. It's, It's totally counterfactual. It's totally nonsensical. Um, I suppose what will happen if the independent medical scientists are correct in their conclusion and, in, and from their research that if you have been injected with an mRNA vaccine, 
there, you have a very high probability of serious injury <clears throat> or death. <clears throat> if that proves to be correct, <clears throat> you're going to see um, a social collapse because such a large percentage of the population is going to be uh, disabled or dead. Now think about it. They're making the firemen, the police, the nurses, the doctors, the truck driver, everybody to be vaccinated. So where the nurses and doctors will be just as sick as everybody else. So who's taking care of the sick? If the truck drivers, are, who's going to deliver anything? Uh, no police, there's no public order, no firemen, there's no, you know, you can't control fire. So the whole thing has a horrific implication. If these independent medical scientists, and they're distinguished people, they're not conspiracy theorists, they're not kooks, they have massive research uh, uh, credentials. They're, they're known, they're famous. Some of them are Nobel laureates. You can't say these people are crazy and kooks. But that's the concern that, look, this vaccine attacks your own body. It makes your body attack your body. So it's a deadly thing for populations. Well, if you've got half the population vaccinated and these medical scientists say none of them are safe from serious injury or death, you're talking about, a, you're talking about the equivalent of a nuclear war. In population loss, and it, you know, and, and what and what all the data show is, after a massive vaccination period, all of a sudden death rates rise sharply, and they are rising among the vaccinated. So I can see, you know, what if they won't care any how they, how they going to get it out of chaos? Who's Who's going to enforce it? You know, police, the same thing. They've done the same thing to the armies. So, you know, things are just chaos. It's chaos. Well, there's no enforcement mechanisms of the tyranny in chaos. So it makes no sense. I, I just don't know. I mean, uh, it could be that it, it's just ignorance and People are just going along. They're like lemons going over the cliff. They're just, it could be that. Uh, it could be, uh, this is what everybody says, and I'm not going to challenge it because they'll um, come to get me. Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It's, I haven't an answer. It's, you mentioned. It's, it's unanswerable. <laughs> you mentioned the jobs, and that kind of ties in. Uh, some have said that, you know, apart from, decreasing the the world's population that they also kind of want to destroy main street you know the middle class small businesses and concentrate the monopoly so all all that's left we have you know amazon and walmart and, and costco and that, that sort of deal the digital online space um we're seeing now inflation raging supply chains breaking down how do you assess the global the state of the global economy and where we're at well the lockdowns are the main reason for the rise in prices in the United States because it shrunk supply. And yet there's still demand. You know, the government issued checks to people and so forth and so on. So when you lock down businesses, you stop production. And then in California, the governor has blocked 50% of the American trucking fleet from entering the state. So they can't unload the stuff on the docks from the ships. And since they can't clear the docks, the ships out there can't load, unload. So that's further worse than the shortages. And now there's some agreement uh, between Canada and the United States that all of the truck drivers that deliver back and forth have to be vaccinated. 
And some huge percentage of them, 40% of them said, no, we're not going to be vaccinated. So the trucking fleet drops another 40%. I mean, uh, if you can't uh, make goods or you can't transport goods, you haven't got any goods to absorb the monetary demand, so the prices go up. I mean, the endless examples of yesterday, I asked at the grocery store where I shop, the butcher, I said, how come there have been no cuts of this particular piece of meat for a long time? He said, well, because it's hard to get and we have to bid for it and we get outbid. Well, they didn't used to have to bid. (laughs) It was never a problem. But the lockdowns it disrupted production. And now there's, it's disrupted by all kinds of, of uh, delivery problems. For example, we have in, in the United States uh, two big private delivery uh, organizations, UPS and FedEx, and I think they're worldwide. Well, uh, used to, they could get you something overnight. So now it goes on for a week, two weeks. Sometimes they don't even show up. And now we have a situation that was recently uh, in the news in California where gangs now rob the trains carrying UPS and FedEx packages in order to get the goods they're in those packages. So you're, you're having uh, uh, mass robberies, bandits, assaulting what little supply that is moving. <laughs> so clearly, uh, you're going to have inflation. Now, for the dollar, it's serious because... Uh, the official number now is inflation is 7%. Well, if you're a foreign country and you're holding uh, U.S. Treasury bonds, you're getting 1%. So you're losing 6% of your money every year that you hold dollars. And you're also learning if you hold dollars, that's how you get sanctioned. If, you're not, if you don't have dollars, they can't sanction you. <laughs> So now we see central banks, even of small countries, saying we we want gold instead. We don't want to hold dollars. Well, that means the United States won't be able to uh, finance its trade deficit much longer. And having moved so much of its manufacturing out of the country to Asia, Everything that comes back in, every offshore good that comes back in, comes in as an import. It worsens the trade deficit. And we pay for that by people holding the dollars. But they don't want to hold the dollars. How do you cover it? You can't. So a potential serious problem for the dollar is rising. If all of a sudden people say, we don't want all these dollars, uh, look at the inflation. And look, if we have dollars, they can come boss you around. They, you don't do what they tell you, they sanction you. So I think that this is another really serious problem for world commerce because the dollar is the reserve currency. There's not another one at this time. Uh, what do you do if there's no reserve currency? Uh, you have to make all sorts of adjustments uh, and all sorts of things have to be put in place that aren't in place. So um, it's another, another reason for social instability, for social collapse. It's a, it's a very bad uh, and uh, dangerous situation all around. And it's all contrived. It's needless. It's all done by a handful of people. It's just a handful of people have created this problem, these problems. I guess the, the, the last theme uh, I had or, or question kind of relates to what you started to discuss, you know, what was going on in California. That's kind of like the third worldization 
uh, of America, and you've been talking about that for a long time. Uh, I have as well. Uh, that's one reason <laughs> I decided to leave the U.S. many years ago. One of many reasons, but um, you know, so I, you cover a lot the disintegration of the U.S. Just some recent examples I've been reading that we now have a domestic terrorist task force that Biden has created, which sounds like something out of Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. And, you know, just other headlines that I read, like the government will now force all new cars to have a government backdoor and kill switch. Um, I mean, to, to me, it just sounds like the nation is under judgment. You know, all our freedoms are being wiped in the blink of an eye. It's it's just total madness. And, and it's happening in other countries as well, but especially in the United States. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you see, uh, no one any longer believes in uh, civil liberty. They don't believe in freedom. Uh, they don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in the First Amendment. Uh, they don't believe in accountable government. Uh, for example, all these mandates that are being issued in the United States, uh, these are being issued by executive bodies. Well, in our system, the executive does not make the law. The executive enforces the law, but legislatures make the law. Well, these mandates are not legislative products. These are coming out of the mouths of dictators. So when you so it shows even the president of the United States doesn't believe in the system. I mean, he has to know. He's been in Congress all his life. <laughs> he has to know that law is a legislative function, not the function of the executive branch. And yet he's issuing laws. Well, the courts have stopped it. So, you know, whether it will be as bad in the United States as it is in Australia and in Austria, in Germany, I don't know. Or whether they'll simply ignore the courts. Uh, it may come to that. They may just simply ignore the courts. And also, you know, we don't know what else they may release. We, we don't know. Uh, we know this virus was manufactured. They spent years on it. There are a large number of patents on it dating back 20 years. They've been working on the vaccine long before they told us. So it looks almost like something that's been organized a long time. Well, I saw recently that they are now working on a new smallpox vaccine. Why? Smallpox is eliminated. This doesn't exist except in a few vials that are supposed to be locked up, but were found laying around on a table at the CDC, uh, were found uh, laying around in boxes somewhere else. Well, my generation was vaccinated against smallpox. It's not a threat to, to us, but subsequent generations weren't because they succeeded in eliminating smallpox. Well, are they going to why are they making vaccines again? Are they planning to let something else loose? Because fear is why things fall apart. They use fear for the pandemic, for the lockdowns, the mask, for the COVID passports. If the fear of COVID is, is going away and people are starting to catch on, as I have, uh, then what are they going to do? They're going to have another pandemic. They're going to release something else to scare people into compliance. You can't know. But what we can see is there's a tremendous amount of evil there. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why do hospitals refuse to treat patients with ivermectin? They would rather them die than to treat them with ivermectin. Why? What can, it makes no sense. It's, the, the hospitals actually prevent the family physician from coming in and treating the patient. People have actually gone to court 
to try to force the hospital to let their dying relatives be treated with ivermectin. They've even done this in Florida and been blocked by the Democratic judges. So the people, there are people in the hospital right now dying because the hospital refuses to let their doctor give them ivermectin. Why? Oh, it might kill them? They're dying. <laughs> it makes no sense. So the evil is just overwhelming. It's, it's just overwhelming evil. It's not like they don't know. Why was the incentive created to give hospitals a huge financial incentive in COVID deaths? The incentive is so great that everybody who died, they said, was a COVID death. You see, they had that PCR test that produces 97% false positives. So you're dying of cancer. They run, stick the thing up your nose. They say, oh, he's COVID. He died of COVID. This even happened to people who died in motorcycle accidents. They said, oh, well, uh, he, had, he had COVID. It happened to, in a case of gunfire deaths. People killed in shootouts <laughs> on their COVID deaths. So it was money that gave them this incentive. And, and so they, if, you, if you're sick and you go to the hospital and you got COVID, chances are you're going to die because they're not going to treat you with what will save you. And they get money if you die from COVID. I've heard of the same happening here uh, in Mexico. And yeah, it's frightening to think um, that what's awaiting us is more bioterrorism uh, by, the, by the state, you know, them releasing other uh, pathogens. And as well, it's truly, it is, I've been saying this from the beginning, is we have to think about this, this sinister and evil nature of what's going on. I just saw uh, Naomi Wolf, you know, uh, I guess left-wing progressive atheist or whatever. She just penned a piece saying, is it time for, you know, for us to start thinking about God? Because she can't grasp, you know, how the sinister nature of everything that, that, that's going on. So do, do you have any final thought then uh, to leave us with? You know, I think we've covered it pretty much. It's, uh, it's inexplicable what's happening. There's no reason for this tensions with Russia. There's no reason for this vaccination, this COVID passport, the destruction of, of human liberty. I mean, it took centuries to gain civil liberty. These are achievements. It took centuries of people struggling. And now, poof, they're gone because of an alleged pandemic, which we know is fake. How do we know that? Because we now have both the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control who say we cannot any longer use the PCR test because it produces too many false positives. And therefore, all of those cases, all of those COVID cases, they were a hoax. Those people didn't have COVID. They had false positives. And all of those deaths, they're not COVID deaths. They're all deaths. So why this deception? And, and so much cooperation with the deception. The entirety of the media. So, you know, I would simply say uh, evil is loose. It's loose and... Uh, what can you do? I mean, evil is powerful. It's, Satan is like a near God, you know, uh, and it's loose. Uh, you see it everywhere. It's, and there's no respect for the West institutions, its values. The Constitution means nothing. We've already talked about it. The President Biden is issuing laws which he is powerless to do, but he's doing it. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know. We'll see. 
if, if all of this doesn't clear up this year, there's going to be one hell of a mess. And how does a country also, you see, what's also happening in the United States is the white people are being demonized. It's like you say, we've set up a domestic terrorist uh, group. Well, who, who are the threat? White people who voted for Trump. Well, this is just disunity on top of everything else. And so we have a hugely uh, disunited country. Uh, the whites are demonized as racist and misogynist, and, and we're going to pick a war with Russia. Well, who's going to fight it? I mean, it's just wherever you look, it's just insanity. Nothing makes any sense. Nothing shows any sort of promise or intelligence or awareness. You know, I don't even understand why the Russians got caught, caught up in this COVID nonsense. Why did they get caught up in it? It, it makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I asked myself that, that, that question I was going to ask you too, but it's everyone's on board, the Chinese, uh, the Russians. Um, well, so I don't know. I can't. I can't answer that, but I think this is going to be a very interesting year. It may well be the end of the world. And, um, and, the, and when United States policy toward Russia is in the hands of Russophobic people, uh, I mean, I can't. It's just hard to imagine a worse danger. It's just, and there's no realization. You know, most, if you go around and talk to most Americans, if I just go talk to my neighbors, oh, those damn Russians are causing trouble. And he said, well, you sure it's them and not us? Well, what are you, some kind of communist? This is the level of intelligence. How, how do people this stupid survive? I don't see how they can survive. I just don't. They, they can't see through the COVID passports. They can't, I mean, I do. Some do, of course. Some do. We, there's some very uh, large and determined uh, demonstrations in the European countries, in Australia. But still, the governments don't pay any attention. They don't pay any attention to the people, just like we don't pay any attention to the Russian security concern. So how is Austria democratic when the Austrian chancellor uh, ignores the massive demonstrations against the police state he's building? How is it a democratic state? It's not the same in Germany, the same in Australia. I mean, these are massive demonstrations. And the governments ignore them and don't care what the people think. So how are they democracies? They're not. They're, they're, you see, it's already a police state. Whether they have the COVID passport or not. <laughs> yeah, as you say, indeed, I think these are dark times and all of us are just going to have to push ahead as, as our forefathers always have um as you mentioned you know i i get emails and calls sometimes from people from these police states such as uh, you know germany austria australia canada uh, looking to me for for advice uh, and so i guess we just gotta keep pushing ahead and we can um as always you know visit your website paulcraigroberts.org to stay uh, informed up to date so people can bookmark that website and, and sign up for your email list uh, newsletter as well as support you through the website and yeah what hopefully we can talk again uh-huh in mexico you can purchase hcq and ivermectin over the counter you can walk in the drugstore for a dollar and buy the stuff what in the world do they need covid passports for why is anybody even sick don't they know that they can go buy this stuff it's a preventative you take one a week you don't even catch covid if you catch COVID, you, you take the dose every day for five days. Why don't they know that? You, they can buy it themselves. They don't need a government. They don't need a clinic. They don't need a hospital. Uh, you take it with uh, zinc. 
I don't understand why Mexico has a problem. You can see here, you can't walk in the drugstore and buy it. You have to have a prescription. Most of the doctors are afraid to give it to you, even though they know it will cure you because they'll pull their license if they people, treat you. But people here are also brainwashed, um, especially the you know the middle <coughs> upper classes. So no, it's very hard to understand. It's kind of like I got a headache. I can go to the store and buy aspirin. I don't need to go to the hospital. If I'm in Mexico, I can go buy ivermectin. What do I need a passport for? What do I need anything? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I have a friend who left Europe because of the tyranny and went to Africa. And he's in the part of Africa where there's no COVID because they're all on ivermectin, river blindness. He said they don't even know what it is, COVID. The university asked him to come give a lecture explaining about this COVID stuff in the West. <laughs> I guess that's our answer that moved to Africa. Yeah, that's what he tells me. He said, you better come on while you can still fly. Yeah, I've, I, I've given up um, for now the idea that I'll be flying anytime soon. So well, see, you're a lot younger than I am. I don't have that long anyhow so it doesn't make that much difference to me <laughs> i hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast interview the website is geopoliticsandempire.com and i encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week we're being heavily censored youtube has deleted some of our videos and we currently have one strike Patreon has terminated our account, Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else. Subscribe to all our platforms and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.